Thanks to Bloomador for once again sponsoring this week's episode. Bloomador has set the standard for enterprise-grade IT monitoring. They seamlessly stream metrics and logs from all kinds of different sources right into your favorite monitoring platform. So, of course, you have tons of metrics and logs and monitoring agents and all these different data sources kind of feeding into to your different dashboards, but the data sets can be siloed off from each other and it can be difficult to kind of connect the dots and see how things are interacting. And of course, you have to configure all the different monitoring agents on different platforms and OSs, and it's just a real pain in the butt. So Bloomador's solution to this is called BindPlane. They take in metrics and logs from over 150 different technologies. They can be on-premises, hybrid cloud, or multi-cloud stacks. And it'll feed them all right into the favorite monitoring tool that you already use. Things like Google Stack Driver, New Relic, Azure Monitor, Wavefront, and Datadog. It allows you to see how the components of your stack are interacting in real time, and you can draw relationships between all those different metrics that previously had been siloed off from one another. The end result is a single view into the performance of your entire stack, and you don't have to spend time configuring monitoring agents or developing your own custom integrations. It also gives you a real dimensionality to your metrics, allowing you to dig down and, and pinpoint performance problems before they become a real problem. So it's free to install and upgrade Google Stack Driver with Bloomador integration if you use that. So if you head on over to bloomadora.com compute, you can install their free update and you'll get a $200 credit towards Google Cloud Platform, which can even be co- combined with other Google free trial credits. That's really, really great. Turn your information into insight with Bloomadora. All right. So how does how does this work? Okay, I, I get about three hundred down, but I get about four hundred up. <laughs> well, is it supposed to be symmetric? Technically, so I have fiber, so technically I'm supposed to get a thousand down and a thousand up, or something like that. But I have a series of cables and wireless signals that I'm connected to, so I'm losing lots of signal, uh, which I'm okay with. But I, I don't understand how. Or get why my download is very much consistently. I don't. In fact, I don't think it's ever been higher than my upload speed over here. I mean, my my best guess is that uh, most people are not uploading, and so <laughs> most people are just downloading. So that probably consumes all the downstream bandwidth. I want my own bus, though. Well, you want you want a T one, T three. I'll lay the pipe myself. Okay, <laughs> that's the dream, man, dude. I when so we have fiber about a mile down the road uh, that's put in by the state and it's used for like the colleges and libraries and the uh, town halls and stuff. Uh, but it's, it's a, you can get access to it as a business as well. Like it's, it's, it's a government run thing, but they'll also work with, with businesses. So uh, I called them up and I was like, Hey, you know, I've got a, uh, you know, I'm self-employed. I work from home. Uh, I live down the street from, from the, from the main road there. And uh, I was wondering if I could get fiber to the house. And the guy's like, okay, yeah. And then he's like, yeah, it's about $30,000 per mile <laughs> to put it in. So tell me about your bandwidth needs. And I'm like, thank you. Click. Yeah. <laughs> tell me about your bandwidth needs. Exactly. Well, so this week we do have some show metadata, which we didn't <laughs> lead with. We said we were going to, but. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We didn't. It's, it's my fault. I got heated. Yeah, so so it's going to be really fun. Uh, we were ign- we were invited to the uh, upcoming Microsoft Ignite conference in Orlando from November fourth to the eighth. Which, while you by the time you hear this, is already going on. We're already there. Yeah. So if you're in Florida uh, near Orlando, hit us up. Uh, we'd love to get some coffee or something. Uh, but also, this is going to be my second conference ever. And it feels like opposite ends of the like the world because ElixirConf was pretty small, pretty intimate. I mean, it wasn't like a handful of people. It was I can't remember. It was like almost around a thousand people, maybe. Uh, but Microsoft Ignite is probably ten times that size. It's going to be a a big conference, so it'll be a really interesting experience. I think. Yeah, I'm really really excited. I've never been to anything like this at all, and. Uh Really looking forward to it. Big shout out to uh, Richard Campbell, who uh, found us and invited us to the show and set us up with a bunch of awesome interviews, which we're going to be doing throughout the week. And we'll be slowly uh, feeding out to you guys over over the coming weeks. 
and uh, Richard Campbell, he runs uh, .NET Rocks. He's been doing that for, I think, like nine or ten years. Is he, he's, he's podcasting before it was actually even called podcasting, <laughs> doing this uh, .NET show. And he has Run As Radio, which I think is a, it's primarily like IT sort of focused, but it also is like a network of a bunch of other great Microsoft podcasts. So we're, we're extremely grateful to him for, for setting us up and uh, making this giving us this opportunity because it's we're, we're looking so forward to like kind of expanding our horizons and and learning a lot more about the all the cool stuff that's out there that we have literally have no idea what it's what it's about it's yeah there's so much so dotnet rocks right now they uh recently they just published their uh 659th episode or 1600th and 59 so 1659 episodes they have did you just sell them short a thousand episodes i did hey it's after six o'clock. My brain is slowly shutting down. Uh, yeah, sixteen hundred fifty-nine episodes they have. That's uh, wild. I think it says since two thousand and four. So that's a uh, it's a lot. We're going we're going on two hundred over here. So maybe maybe someday we'll Almost. be episode sixteen hundred. But uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Like you said, it's sort of like broadening our horizons, right? So uh, when we first talked to him about it. And, you know, he was asking us like, you know, what are we interested in? What are we familiar with from Microsoft world? And I was like, ah, not much. I don't really know much about the world. You know, uh, I've tried WSL a couple of times. It's about it. Uh, so he, you know, we, we started looking at the Microsoft ignite site and when you click on sessions, it returns 1978 sessions. So, uh, yeah, good luck. Yeah. Yeah. I think Richard even said that only about 30% of the conference was, was programming related. So there's a lot of infrastructure, IOT, um, uh, even like personal growth, career management stuff too. So uh, there's gonna be a lot of interesting talks. I'm going to try and take as many notes as I can. Yeah, definitely. We tried to pick our, our interview interviewees, uh, as kind of, sort of narrow focus into things that we're interested in. We think you guys might be interested in as well uh, that are kind of tangential to the stuff that we're working on these days. Uh, a lot of stuff about like WebAssembly and uh, cloud stuff and so on. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, so, I mean, knowing that I'm going to be gone for a week next week, I was freaked out this week trying to get everything I wanted to get done, <laughs> done which of course didn't happen, but... Uh, thankfully my coworkers were like, Hey, don't sweat it. Uh, we're, you know, as long as we're just making progress every day, that's what we should be doing for the business. So, um, going into the weekend feeling reassured by that. Yeah, that's great. Try not to, you didn't push any code, uh, right before, right before the weekend. Did you? No, I didn't. I did not do that. All right, good. Although I could, I have, uh, <laughs> it's not too late. <laughs> I could push this button right over here and it would happen, but I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I mean like, so a lot, I spent a lot of time this week thinking, right? So a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had friend of the show Noah on last week, uh, but a couple of weeks ago, I'd mentioned I've been sort of mulling over this, this article called application layering and, uh, just thinking about that a lot. So I was thinking about that this week as I was working on stuff and also sort of out of, out of ordinary for me is I actually spent I don't think I wrote really any Elixir. Well, maybe a little bit. I did some GraphQL stuff uh, with Absinthe, but uh, I wrote mostly JavaScript all week, and that was a huge changeup for me. Um, but the whole time, I basically spent thinking about trying to keep these things in the forefront of my mind, application layering, uh, really like thinking about decoupling things, um, and uh, a couple other stuff that a couple other uh, rules, I guess that I'll mention later. But uh, how was your week? It's been another nonstop head down friggin' coding week, uh, but a very successful one in the sense that I actually shipped a lot of stuff that's kind of been in the pipeline and kind of stewing for a while. So that's been, and it's been mostly like hugely successful. So that's great. It was actually very, yeah, it's, it's a very like productive and successful, not successful, satisfying week in the sense that like, uh, lots of I got to push lots of big changes. Uh, I can go over them really quickly if I if you give me a second to yeah. do that. I don't want to go too in depth, but like, uh, again, it's pretty amazing how much stuff I was able to to get done at once 
first big one was I uh, I ca- talked a couple weeks ago about this big server refactor that I did for adding telemetry and improving performance and stuff. I finally uh, got that deployed to production. You know what? It's freaking great. Uh, it's cool having telemetry today. I spent some time in Grafana getting all the pretty grass set up and like, that's awesome. And the, you know, the servers are sitting there like 2% CPU, just kind of <laughs> doing their thing. Yeah. Like it's totally fine. And you know, 150, 200 megs of memory. It's fine. It's great. It's great. Plenty of room to grow there. And it's all nice and decoupled with Phoenix presence. So like if a server goes down, it's not the end of the world. Awesome. Uh, second piece was this big peer-to-peer push that I made where uh, basically now when you establish a connection to a site, you have this WebRTC connection, which normally you were just using for audio. Now we actually have data pipelines going through that as well, which means that when you're like sending commands and receiving data from the station, uh, it's peer-to-peer, it's direct. So like there's no latency involved with like this middleman server kind of piping data back and forth. And that's less bandwidth and less CPU performance uh, issues that we have to deal with because like, now that we're piping tons of data back and forth uh, with these new flex radios and these pretty, pretty graphs and stuff, like uh, it's just peer to peer, so we don't have to we don't have to eat that cost in bandwidth because it's just it just goes direct when it can. So that's that's going to be a huge huge gain for us. Also, just uh, again latency wise, you know, it's a lot faster to to operate, you know, without the extra hop. Right. That's really cool. And then our new RTC code will also, it's just Electron now. It's, it used to be the Swift app that we compiled. Now it's Electron. And guess what? Electron runs freaking everywhere. So uh, I bought a Raspberry Pi 4. It showed up yesterday. I installed the RHR server on it and this new uh, RTC thing. And you know what? It just freaking works. So now, like in theory, instead of having a $500 Mac Mini everywhere, we can have a $30 Raspberry Pi right. <laughs> 4. And it just friggin' does exactly the same thing, which is awesome. And they're basically disposable at that point. So, so by everywhere, you just mean in your in your tower locations, right? Yeah, exactly. We've got we've got you know over thirty locations and growing, and uh, each one of those has a Mac Mini at it right now. Which the Mac Minis are great; they're rock solid. But you know, it'd be nice not to have to <laughs> to drop that kind of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, uh, other stuff. I've been pushing beta stuff to customers, and they're loving it with the new uh, some of the new radios. And uh, it's just been it's just been just it feels like a series of like home runs, you know. And I was really worried about pushing all this stuff before Ignite, but I did it a couple days ago. Make sure let it marinate. Make sure like I can roll stuff back if I need to. But you know, it's been rock solid. It's been fine. So I'm uh, I'm really happy and confident that things are. Not, <laughs> I'm not going to be spending all of next week. Uh, fiercely rebooting AWS servers from my laptop. So are you are you feature flagging any of that stuff or how are you rolling it out to people, like specific people? Um the uh for the beta stuff it's literally uh it's a new like app. So we just we just send them like ah, builds and they just launch it. So and it's uh the the new features turn on, like they detect that you're in the app. They know that you're in Electron as opposed to just the browser. And then they turn themselves on based on that. Right. So it's actually it's the same uh like it's in production, but it's just it turns itself off when you're not using it. Yeah, that's neat. I've I've been looking at some more feature flaggy type things for some features coming up. Uh, there are a number of Elixir libraries for that, but that's about. I haven't really gone too in depth on thinking about how I'm going to to work that out. Th- that's something that I need to do more of, like uh, hiding stuff behind feature flags. I I remember reading somewhere that Facebook like because. And I don't know if this is still true, but Facebook is basically a big mono repo, gigantic PHP application. Again, I don't know if that's still the case. Obviously, there's a lot around it, but like they were basically saying that basically like every team that works on Facebook like commits to master, and they just hide all their stuff behind feature flags, right? Like, oh my, uh, I don't know. I guess that scales, but yeah, I, I need to definitely do more of that because because it it is nice to have that power to roll the stuff back. I wonder, yeah, I wonder what the human hour overhead is on that just in managing that stuff. I'm sure it's automated uh, pretty heavily, but Joe, that was just a thir- for the first th- thought that came, in, came into my mind there. Yeah, I'll see if I can find the post. Oh, another big thing that I very feel very accomplished about, which <laughs> should it be, was I successfully migrated a WordPress site from one server to another. <laughs> no, that's an impressive feat. <laughs> I was not looking forward to that. I, I, uh, I mistakenly took on the that responsibility for my flight club, my local flight club that I belong to. Oh, okay. And uh, they have a website, WordPress. The uh, the old guy who maintained it 
moved to California to work for Facebook. He's got it hosted on his own server. We wanted to, to get it under our control. So I migrated over to shared hosting. And you know what? Uh, a couple hours of poking around with, with uh, PHP, MySQL, and uh, cPanel. Like this, is, I don't remember the last time I logged into a traditional web host, but it's been probably a decade. And you know what? It was fine. Like once I figured it out, it was fine. Once and it you worked. remembered it, yeah. Once you remembered the incantations, it worked. Yeah, I had to do uh, some cPanel stuff for Alder and Tweed, our our design collective parent company. Uh, last year, actually, they were having some some issues, and uh, they they emailed me, and they're like, "Can you help us?" And I was like, "Well, I guess technically <laughs> you pay me, so yeah, I can do that." And uh, yeah, so I ended up getting in the cPanel and, and all that stuff. Uh, it's very interesting, just like peeling back the curtains on businesses and seeing what runs things, like technically what runs things. And for the mo- like for most of them, aside from from startups, most of them are sort of just like duct tape services together that that communicate with some some translation layer in the middle. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. I guess that sums up really any sort of. <laughs> API client situation, but it feels very different than a, than a, than a highly controlled uh, application with uh, full-time developers versus uh, a webmaster kind of like registering for services and making them talk to each other. Yeah, man, I forgot about... I mean, the first thing I did when I made this the shared hosting account was try to SSH in <laughs> because I was like, I just know as soon as I have SSH, I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. But of course, uh, I did set it up, but then I tried SSH in and it was like, SSH access is not enabled for your account. Please contact support. I'm like, ah. Right, yeah. Guess I'll just click through the freaking crappy web interface. <laughs> yeah, and Alder and Tweed has a reseller account. Uh, so whoever pitched them on whatever they're using now... Uh, they they bought a reseller account and they're basically not charging themselves for bandwidth. Uh, so a couple they have like a, a couple of different sites that are all using this one account and they're using them as like as if they were customers of as if they were like an ISP or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So wow, that Interesting. was that was fun to figure out. But I haven't had to do that in a while. I'm knocking on my table to make make sure that the the ship stays straight there, so I don't have to to go back there. I mean, to its credit, once I figured out all the moving pieces, uh, getting WordPress working was like, there's only two pieces. It's the database backup, which I had because, you know, the guy works for freaking Facebook. Of course, he sends me the MySQL DB dump and a folder full of files. And I just threw the files in there. I had to change the configs to like match the new, uh, I made a MySQL server. I did the import. I had to change username and password or whatever. And you know what? Like that, that was it. Once I figured out those moving pieces, uh, I thought I was just, I, I didn't know. I was like, it could be permissions issues or it could be like data, like what version, quote unquote version of WordPress is even running? Mm-hmm. Like, I have no idea. I, I don't know. It's just a folder full of files. And there's all, he has like custom stuff in there too, of course. So like, I was like, oh, I have to deal with this. Nope. Just, just, just unzip the folder and, and point public HTML at it and uh, it'll serve it up. So PHP is, is weird and old and it works. It, yeah. It just keeps working. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's got to be a good feeling. I, uh, on a similar level, I guess, uh, I I had mentioned that we were rewriting, so we had like a Statamix. So we're using Statamix, which is a great CMS for our sales website, and I ended up uh, moving all the content to a headless uh, CMS. We're using Prismic, and uh, also what I did uh, was I said they have basically separated it into repositories, so you can have a repository for your blog a repository for your sales website. So repository is just like, uh, it gives you a distinct URL for hitting that API and it, and it's just a separation of your data essentially. So uh, we're now using Prismic in DK.com proper for doing some of our uh, more static type pages like the homepage and about page and stuff for managing our SEO, like meta tags and descriptions and stuff. So that way sales and marketing can just do that themselves. Um, they don't have to... They don't have to bug me about it, and I don't have to make PR branches and with these changes and merge them in and, and deploy stuff. So that felt really good to get out. That's really cool. So you, I mean, was this this, this you were telling me about this where the uh, the marketing person was basically like asking you for like telling you what to do, or like asking you for improvements and like what you can do to make their lives easier, which 
was kind of a breath of fresh air. Yeah, yeah. So we have a person that's working for our main marketing person, and she's been awesome to work with. She's proactive. She's coming to me, asking me questions, which is amazing. Um, asking, you know, asking like, hey, is there anything we can do about this? What can you implement? And so I am, I'm happy to implement whatever. It's just, it's really difficult if I'm the one having to think about what needs to be implemented and also doing the implementing at the same time. So in that marketing space versus like the rest of the engineering that I have to think about, right? So it's been really awesome to have a team, a team member come in and sort of take half of the, half of the burden away from me. So I was basically describing to her, like, this is what's been difficult for me. This isn't my wheelhouse. I'm not an expert in this area. I'm not a business expert. Um, I can build what you need or I can tell you how to get what you need, but you have to tell me what you need. And that's always been the trouble for me, especially with uh, coworkers that aren't super technically savvy. Sometimes they don't know, you know, they might be able to communicate to you a bigger picture, but then you have to take the effort to break that down for them. And while I'm not trying to complain about that work, because I'm happy to help with that, it's just, I have so much other stuff to do too, you know? Uh, so yeah, basically she comes in and she's like, I need this, this, and this, can you do it? And I'm like, oh, great. I know exactly how to do all that stuff. Let me implement it really quickly. So took half a day, knocked it out, and they're able to tweak to their heart's content. Uh, they can change content and it'll fit whatever marketing plan they have now or next month or whatever. And I can just keep thinking about uh, application layering and not have to think about um, making small copy commits. Yeah, that's great. I mean, like you said, you're not, it's no skin off your back to make those changes. It's easy for you. Like it's, it's, it's great. It feels good when someone asks, hey, can you change this? And you're like, yeah, no problem. Uh, but that is a context switch and that is something that you can empower them to do themselves. So why not? Right. So one thing that Noah said, and this is sort of taking that a little bit out of context, but one thing that Noah said last week was no way you're not needed. And and if you kind of transform that a little bit, uh, if if you transform it to be like, know where you shouldn't be needed, maybe, uh, is how I, I started thinking about it. I was like, I shouldn't be like, they shouldn't be needing me to make these tweaks for them. They should be, they should have the capability to do it themselves, right? Uh, so that's this is sort of one way I can do that. I shouldn't be having to make these copy commits and deploying that way. I should give them a tool where they can do that on their own. And that way they're free to run and think as creatively as they want to and implement whatever plans they have. And there's less context switching on both sides, right? Yeah, definitely. That's, that's great. And uh, it's cool. They have the, the tools to, to do that, that are not, <laughs> I don't know, weird and backwards. They're not PHP. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I was thinking about it, like all of our front end facing stuff is Nux. So if you get, if you interact with any DK, like facing property, whether it's our sales website or DK proper, um, or like company blog, they're all just running on Nuxt now. So it's all the same across the boards. Tailwind, Nuxt, Heroku, uh, all all the same. And it's it's great because now when I jump into a place or like if I go from DK over to the sales website, I'm like, oh, this is immediately familiar. I don't have to think about, I don't have to context switch there in terms of what tools do I have available to solve a problem. Um, especially with, with Tailwind. So I saw some interesting discussions on Twitter you know, there's always just people battling on Twitter about uh, utility class style or functional style CSS, right? And uh, that, I don't know, it, it's interesting. So I saw one person, they had a take initially of like, I don't see how this can be maintainable. Like jumping back into this would be, seems like it could be difficult. And I think it was like, it was like over the course of a week, they had like tried it out and they're like, oh, never mind. I, I see how this could be more maintainable or how this could actually be maintainable, you know? And uh, for me, it's like, you know, the the theme, the, the fact that like, again, it's sort of like separating some of the concerns, like the theming is configurable. And then once you configure that, you can just use it. But since we're sharing the same configs across files, it's like we have the same exact interface, same exact styling interface for everything, you know? So whether I'm building a dragon or whether I'm building a data grid component on DK's admin side for, you know, allowing someone to search through half a million product inventory or whether I'm designing a two up like photo left copyright, you know, marketing block on a homepage somewhere. I don't have to think about, 
okay, how do I want to structure this CSS? How is this other project structuring CSS? Uh, what about future coworkers? Like, is there a paradigm that I can make them follow or follow here that I can just like point them to, right? Because we just adopt the tailwind, it just works across the board. I guess you could say similar things for say like a styling, I don't want to call it a framework, but methodology maybe like BEMS or something like that. But that's even a little different because you're still coming up with the naming schemes and stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I can't say, I guess I can't say enough about Tailwind and about um, just, you know, like Nuxt works for me. It works great. I, I know it. Uh, I solve a lot of problems with it and it makes me really efficient. So just really happy with that, I guess, is what I'm, I'm getting at. How do you share the Tailwind configs across projects? Is it just <laughs> copy paste? Copy paste right now, yeah. Okay, that's fine. That's, I mean, that's an answer. I, I mean, it's, it's probably a better answer than using Git sub modules because good luck with that. Right, yeah. So, uh, I mean, so Nux has the starter, uh, and you can have it install Tailwind, which also configures Purge CSS, which is awesome. So I don't have to do any of that either. So really, like, right now we're going through, we have, like, a new color scheme coming in, some new types, tiles coming in. We've had a designer working on sort of the, the look and feel of the brand, right? Uh, so she, the designer has these all these names for the colors, and so... I just hop over to the config, add a new theme for that color, which is an, a non-destructive thing, right? So I'm not using primary, secondary, tertiary, whatever. I'm actually just like antique, rust, blackfish, whatever the, the, the color is named, right? Throw it in there, and then you can use your editor and find and replace where you need to. And it's it's non-destructive, so I can make those changes, and it doesn't jack up a bunch of stuff, you know, uh, which is what I like about it, Um so yeah, copy pasting. I'm not doing anything wild yet. I'm trying to codify more stuff in Notion. So I might have like maybe like the 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 main uh, copy of you know the color config and spacing and stuff there. But apart from that, yeah, just copying and pasting it in. And plus, we have Tailwind uh, the UI. I forget what it's called. Tailwind components or whatever coming soon. Yeah, Tailwind UI. So like. That that's gonna open another whole other can of worms with your your Twitter people arguing because I don't uh, I've been following some of the beta stuff you got me on the I'm on the the beta um, email list and I've been following it and it's I haven't had a chance to play with it yet I'm not I'm still not convinced but like I know I will be I just don't I just don't see the value in it yet because I haven't had a chance to to play with it but man it does look good yeah yeah it's it's always like I think I can't remember who made up this analogy but. To me, it feels like the difference between if you need to build something with Legos, Tailwind, you have a box of Legos that are pre-made and you can just like configure the coat of paint on them, right? <laughs> uh, whereas coming up, sort of like coming up with the system your own, you, you're sort of like making the molds for the Legos at two, uh, which is a whole step and requires thought and requires planning. So Tailwind sort of removes that from you. Some people aren't okay with that. That's fine. I, I really like it because I got a lot of stuff to do and Tailwind makes me crazy. It makes me feel like crazy productive. And Tailwind UI, like you said, having a collection of uh, pre-designed, I guess it's like similar to Bootstrap maybe, right? Like there are a lot of Bootstrap uh, UI things where you can copy some markup and it's like you copied a fully built out header or you copied like a marketing hero or you copy at a pricing table, right? A Tailwind UI is like that, but it also includes, it's going to be including more like application specific stuff as well and form stuff. So, well, the thing about bootstrap is you use bootstrap. You end up with an application that looks like bootstrap. Like yeah. the, there's just no get around that. Right. Uh, if, if you're a bad developer, if you're a bad designer like I am, <laughs> if you're a good designer, you can use bootstrap and, and no one will ever tell. But if you're lazy, uh, everyone can tell. And you can always see like the Bootstrap two versus the Bootstrap three sites. Like you can tell what what year <laughs> an application was created when based off of the <laughs> the version of Bootstrap it uses. But Tailwind UI is like it seems like it gives you a blueprint for doing these components. But because it's all class based, class driven, or utility driven, I should say, uh, that's it's very easy to override the default styles. So, so you get like a reasonable default, but you can also add your own twist on it to make it look unique. And so I think that's, I think that's going to be the real win there. Yeah, for I me, mean, for me, really, like as long as people people think it's easy to use, I'm happy. Uh, and and so far, it's I don't know. It just removes. It's just another thing I have to think about. I think really, that's one of the biggest things that that keeps me with it is that it's just another, it's another decision I don't have to make. 
the class naming, how it's set up, it's all been decided for me. I can use it and it works for me. It's customizable enough to allows me to do what I need to do uh, and it doesn't push me into a corner too much. And so I'm free to think about other things. Nobody puts Sean Washbot in a corner. To me, that's like, as, as, as a CTO working as a solo dev for this company, to me, that's, that's worth its weight in gold. Like, if you, can, if you can solve a problem for me and I can, I can just sort of run with what you give me, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of front-end stuff, tell me a little bit more about what you've been doing in front-end land. You said that you have not been spending a lot of time in Elixir. I haven't, no. So uh, I did a little bit of GraphQL stuff. Um, I think that's really the only Elixir thing I did, and that was today. Or no, yesterday. Maybe two days. I can't remember. It was this week, in fact. And uh, yeah, so I've been spending most of my time in JavaScript land. So uh, Design Collective has uh, an admin side, like a store admin side. And there are various like data tables and ways that you can list data and sort data, right? It's just like a, a normal boring business application back there. And uh, so we have, you know, we're using Vue and we have components that we share across pages. Um, but it could be better. There's still lots of copying and pasting. So what I've been trying to do is dry stuff up a little bit. And one thing I've wanted for a long time is more of a classical data table, I guess. So originally the, the store side of the admin was designed and it looked really nice, but it looked really nice when there wasn't a pile of data in there because the screens were designed a certain way and there was a certain amount of data in the screens and it looked nice, right? I think we've all sort of been in that situation where you look at a design, you're like, oh, I think this will work great. Then you fill it up with data and it's like, eh, maybe not, you know? So I've always sort of wanted uh, more of a classical data table. And what I mean by that is a data table that gives you the power or the user power to filter and sort by what they need really quickly uh, in, in a way that it, it sort of is familiar to them. And as Design Collective has evolved and people have been busy and throwing myself under the bus, you know, just like trying to get something done, you know, one, one, one table listing might look a little bit different or function a little bit different than the next table listing. And, and I'm thinking about like a big choke point for us is our inventory team, you know? So they, they have a lot of data to get through. They have a hard job of making sure data's correct and and managed properly because we have a team that manages store inventories for them. Uh, and and so I spent this week really thinking about what I kind of would like in a data table uh, and then sort of implementing it. I looked around. Uh, there are a few view data table solutions, but I ended up deciding not to go that route because I just didn't want to. I knew I was going to have to fight them eventually as as one does with most especially complex UI components, you almost end up, you almost always end up fighting them. So I started out uh, building my own sort of data table solution from scratch. Oh boy. that sounds like a losing <laughs> proposition. Well, yeah, that's exactly what you said to me was, uh, what, what did you say? Uh, basically you said, don't waste too much time is what you're getting at, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is fine. You're like, you're looking out for me. You're like, Hey, this, basically what you're saying is this, is, this could take a lot of time. A good data table can take a lot of time to build. Uh, so, you know, just be mindful that you're not losing a lot of time on this when there are, there are, I think like view good table was one that comes to mind that I was looking at. So, which coming back to the .NET things, when ASP.NET 1.0 came out, which is probably the last time I used ASP.NET, uh, it had a data grid component as part of its thing. Mm -hmm. And like that was, it was, you know, primitive by today's standards. I mean, it was you know, everything you did was a page refresh and, but it did have basic filtering and sorting and all that stuff. But, uh, that blew my mind when I could just like literally take a SQL query and shove it into a table and have it in the browser. Like right. that is, it is very powerful, but then you get into the customization aspect to make it not look like complete garbage. And that's usually where you run up and against a wall against like what you want versus what the designer of the component wants or expects. Yeah, yeah. So I've gone back and forth on this too because there are UI libraries for Vue that look pretty good, uh, like Vuetify for one. I mean, I'm not a huge material design fan myself, uh, but there are a number of Vue uh, libraries out there that have things like data tables as part of their um, offering. Uh, but I I always struggle with that because while the demos of of those dashboard kits look great, um, 
I think every single actual implementation of those dashboard kits I've logged into have not been so great. Uh, and again, they get you 80% of the way and the last 20% is a real fight to get to get to where you need to be. So it's it's the age-old trade-off, like, do I want to get to 80% first and slug through the 20% or do I want to slug through 80% and fly through the last 20%? And while that doesn't sound like it does the second part justice, the last 20% is a real slug, you know? That sounds like the same trade-off for any yeah. any kind of, not just dashboard, but uh, roll your own admin, yeah, like exactly. general purpose backend admin thing, and it never, never does what you want. Yeah, and, and so far, you know, people ask me like, oh, if you're building an e-commerce platform, why it, it's crazy to build it from scratch. But at the same time, yeah, we've spent time on it, but at the same time, we can do literally whatever we want, how we want to, which has been awesome. So we've we've been able to do some cool stuff, that say similar competitors can't necessarily do because they're using an off-the-shelf solution and they're only allowed to do so much uh, based off of a plugin system or whatever, you know? So um, anyway, I, I spent a lot of time thinking. Uh, I didn't I actually really didn't spend a ton of time on this data table thing. And uh, I'll ask you to talk about it in a second because you poked around it a little bit today. Um, but I, you know, I wrote a lot of JavaScript this week and it's been a while since I've done that. And it's really, it's been really interesting. So it's one of those weeks where I realized like, wow, I've actually, I can tell that I've grown as a developer um, this week. And, And not that like suddenly I have JavaScript chops that I didn't have, but I think thinking conceptually and from a design standpoint, I feel like I grew a lot. Um, because the, I don't know, the way that, Again, before, yeah, we're, I'm, I feel a little bit under the gun to get this feature out. And obviously, the rest of the features in DK, as I've mentioned in the Stordman, uh, have just been thrown in there. So whether it's like data's put in Vuex and the components here, and then we have you know, a bunch of Vuex modules that could really be a single module, right? So instead of you know just doing that again, it took some time. And it's funny, it really didn't take that much more time at all to, to build this in a way. But as of today... Um, I have a data grid solution that's data agnostic, so it can show products, it can show stores, it can show sales, it can show orders, it can show anything. You know, you just tell it what it needs to show and how it needs to show it. Uh, but also, I have a Vuex module that is dynamic too. So you have a Nuxt page component, and when the page uh, loads, it runs the. There's a fetch hook in Nuxt which populates a Vuex state. Uh, and in this case, what it does is it actually populates a dynamic module. So um, if you have two pages, say you have a manufacturer's page and you have a manufacturer product page, uh, on each page, it uh, will create a dynamic Vuex module, one called uh, uh, one called uh, manufacturer uh, connection and one called manufacturer product connection. And it's using the exact same base Vuex module, it's using the exact same base uh, data grid component, yet it's, you know, it's completely scoped and looks completely different based off of the data that's given. So, uh, I mean, I really, if I'm counting the number of hours I worked on this, four or five maybe, like four or five good hours on this thing, and I could basically redo the entire, like, store admin with a more robust uh, data fetching solution, I guess. That's that's really, really nice, and like, you do this as a sort of a not even a proof of concept, but like you saw a need for it in this this vendor product, this manufacturer product thing, where it's like it's a lot of data and you have to sort through it. And there's no point in like doing like a card interface or a, you know something more traditional to like that that maybe looks better is better for browsing. You really need to get in there and sort and filter and like hack and slash the data yeah. <laughs> and make it you bend it to your will. And like there's there's this is nothing better than data grid for that. But it's cool that you made it general purpose enough so that now you're like, oh, I've got a hammer, here's a nail. And you just start <laughs> you just start throwing the data grid in everywhere, which can also be an anti-pattern, right? Because like you don't want to be lazy about it. Like, oh, just throw a data grid in there. But like for back-end stuff, who cares? Who cares? Uh, yeah, exactly. And the original inventory management view that was made for store owners to manage their products was card-based. And cards take up so much space on the screen. And uh, it's... So if you want to say like you're, you're scanning for a price uh, and you're scanning through maybe 50 products, right? So you've narrowed, narrowed something down to 50 products and you're scanning for something. Uh, when it's card-based, you have to jump around so much. Uh, 
versus when your table, like when it's tabular, the column, like the prices are all vertical. So you can scan really quickly. Plus you can see five times more products in one shot, you know? So while it does look more boring and spreadsheet-like, it's going to be much more efficient, I think, for the the inventory team or even, you know, customers that go in and manage inventory on their own. So I think that that'll be a huge win. But uh, there's a lot of technical stuff that that sort of <laughs> went into that, right? So I mentioned that I did a GraphQL thing. And up to this point, we've been pretty good about having sort of a unified interface of how you filter data uh, in Design Collective System through GraphQL. So you might have, say, a vendor product uh, query that returns to you a list of vendor products. Um, and uh, typically, uh, a list a query that lists things like that in Design Collective will take a filter object. Uh, so technically it would be called like vendor products uh, input filter or something like that. And that that defines in GraphQL like, okay, you can filter by name, keyword, um, on sale, approved, whatever, right? It's, that's just sort of the list of things that you can filter by. Um, and then we usually have order by, uh, like created that, updated that, whatever. And then limit and offset. We've been using limit and offset pagination for that. And so pretty much across the board, any uh, GraphQL query that lists something returns uh, or takes those those four things, essentially. So uh, you and I, when we first started talking about this, uh, started talking about um, pagination, especially when you're using limit and offset, can be an issue. Like say, uh, say you're part of an inventory team and you're looking through a bunch of products and... Uh, you're pagining through, you're pagining through, and then your teammate imports a spreadsheet of 500,000 products, which is actually realistic for a use case, like this use case that we're working on. Uh, that might blow your stuff all up, right? Suddenly you might be, you might start seeing duplicate entries. You might never see some entries and, you know, maybe that just makes your job harder, right? Um, and I'll, there's, there's a technical reason for that. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to why that is when you're using limit offset. Um, but I started looking around for more conventions, right? I'm trying to adopt more conventions, but relay, uh, the relay spec actually, uh, uses cursor, cursor pagination. And you mentioned this to me and you're, this is your fault. You set me on this journey. Uh, and it turns out absinthe has a module absinthe, uh, dot relay, um, that given a list, you can actually give it an ecto query or you can give it a list of structs or something. You run it through there and it returns, uh, a cursor page for you. So it returns the number of items you ask for, and then it gives you the start cursor and cursor and like has next page as previous page and stuff uh, automatically. So now what we have is like a vendor. We just have another um, uh, convention and we're starting to switch to this, but now we have vendor products connection and that returns to you the relay connection stuff. So basically... This data table just assumes that uh, you're working with um, a connection, and because you're working with connection, it follows that pattern, and like you get pagination, you get filtering, sorting, you get all that stuff for free. By the way, this is something we haven't talked about, uh, and I'm just going to throw this at you right now. <laughs> it's a thing that I think is important. Uh, when so we use FreshBooks for our billing for our business. Uh, we're using FreshBooks Classic, I guess. Now it's the old original version of FreshBooks. Fine, whatever. When you're going through the invoices on FreshBooks, uh, it's paginated by maybe like 100 per page or whatever, which is fine. That's good for the most normal things. But there's also a button at the bottom that says, show me all X results. Yeah. And you know what? When I click that button, I don't care how long it takes. I don't care if it takes the, <laughs> takes the page 60 seconds to render. I want to see all my results on one page. I'm accepting that bandwidth. You've got to accept that CPU power. Like... And that was I was I was running some numbers for for businessy related things and like I needed to go through tons of invoices for the past year and crunch those numbers and I was like you know what I, I have to see them all on page so I can so I can do that and uh, it kind of sucks but <laughs> it's a it's a crappy user interface like by default but man it's nice to have that escape hatch as a user so just throwing that out there I think that's an important thing. Yeah, I so I mean talking to to Lindsay, I basically when we were kicking off this this feature build and this not necessarily the data grid stuff, but the larger feature that this is going to go towards. Um I asked her, I was like, "Hey, how important uh to you 
if you're managing your store's inventory is A, the speed at which you can find something and B, the speed at which you can find something and make the data accurate when it wasn't accurate. And she said that like trumps everything. So it doesn't matter how pretty it is. doesn't matter how well designed it is. doesn't matter how great the photos look. If you can't get to something fast and make the data correct where it wasn't correct, that's the problem, right? So this was, that was like a huge uh, motivation for me uh, to, to building this thing. And so along the way, I've sort of been looking for conventions, right? So that's why I've been using Vuix a lot um, in the app. And, you know, a lot of people have a love-hate relationship with Vuix, which is fine. Um, but for me, it gives me conventions to follow, right? Um, and in the same way, uh, you know, adopting adopt a Relay-style connections, I'll put a link to what connections are. I guess I could describe them really shortly too. But uh, adopting Relay-style connections... Uh, for all of our paginated stuff also um, just gives me more rules to follow. But also if other people want to use our data, which we actually have a company that we're working with now, they're working on integration where they're pulling uh, information from ABI. Now I can point to someone else's documentation that explains how something works. Maybe that's really what I'm getting at. Like someone else put all the time in thinking about how how the graph works and how uh, how when you're searching for something, you want to get the list of edges to it, right? So if you have uh, a vendor and you want to see other products, vendor products would be an edge of vendor, right? So I can send them to basically Facebook's website and be like, all right, here's how our pagination works. Uh, here's everything you have access to, have at it. And it's a document I don't have to write. It's a site that I don't have to publish, all that stuff. That's what it all comes down to is you just... Just anything to avoid writing documentation, right? Right, yeah, exactly. So there's some, I don't know, some trade-offs for it. But eventually, you know, I see probably, I go back and forth on this, but probably ending up on Apollo because it does so much stuff. But I'm also kind of scared of it because it does so much stuff. (laughs) But when Paul and I were originally talking about it and we started working with GraphQL, we always thought that we would eventually end up on Apollo because especially for data-heavy stuff, it handles so much for you. So... It's interesting when you Google for like Vuix or when you're looking at any sort of like global store, it gets used in all sorts of ways. But I think initially how it was supposed to be used was like if you have vendors and you have vendor products, you'd have a vendor store or you'd have vendor state and you'd have product state. So when you fetch products, you put them all in the product state. And when you're working on different views, you pull the products out that you need to show, right? And early on in some design collective vendors uh, or some design collective viewing stuff it's like okay admin products go here but like public products go in this other one you know uh, which can work fine but it, things just get spread out more I guess so I guess what I'm getting at is Apollo has like all sorts of state management and caching and like smart uh, smartness with it so it like it'll know like oh hey we already have this information in the store we don't have to fetch it we'll just reuse it and uh yeah, yeah. Vuex, Vuex likes things to be flat in the sense that like well graphql likes things to be nested where it's it's literally a graph right where you have edges and nodes and like they're you know you're kind of digging down through the graph and it wants to return this tree structure to you but but Vuex doesn't want that Vuex wants flat lists of things with ids and you just kind of like cobble together what you want almost like a like relational keys and database and that's fine they, they they both work but it's it's kind of weird to kind of glue that all together and to your point about the apollo thing it's like graphql is already such a huge jump a huge improvement over like what we had before in terms of just trying to come up with your own restful api conventions which is just a thing that you shouldn't do ever or have to do <laughs> right so GraphQL already solves that problems and make like GraphQL already makes everything so much better. You're like, oh, this is great. And then, uh, but if you stop there and you don't start looking at Apollo and Relay and all this other stuff, which to my to my own disservice, I haven't yet. Like I'm still trying to mentally understand all this stuff. Uh, I got a lot of reading and hacking to do, but it, it is kind of funny. It's like I just saw uh, one more thing I have to I have to learn, but. I don't know. It's probably not that bad because you are kind of buying all in on that ecosystem. It's another one of those things where like when it works, it works. And when it doesn't, it doesn't. Right. So it does so much for you when it works. You just inherited all that stuff. And there's so many. So there's like an entire, you know, ecosystem of people working on Apollo full time, basically. You know, it's open source. There's a, there's a, 
I think like a company behind it. Um, I think there's some services too. Uh, Apollo. Uh, I've really only looked at like the Apollo Nux and the Apollo View stuff, which um, shout out to his handles, Acrium. He, he makes so much stuff that I use. So he does like the view or he does the view dev tools. He did like view CLI, like the UI portion of it. He does uh, view Apollo and next Apollo. He's on the view core team. He's just like prolific in the view community. But uh, anyway, yeah. So like Apollo, it just does a lot of stuff for it's kind of like, I guess it's akin to like when I threw absinthe in design collective, I was like, holy smokes, I have GraphQL now, you know, like I configured a few files and here we go. I have an API that I'm using and it works. Uh, I think Apollo is sort of similar to that on the front end. And to your point, how Vuex sort of expects things to be in a flat structure. And this really dawned on me recently. Uh, when when you're a full stack developer or whatever you want to call it, and you're working on the front end and the back end, you have a really intimate knowledge of how the API is sending information to the front end. And so sometimes you tend to build the front end that's really a builder front end that's really coupled to the, how that data is being sent to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, because you don't, you're not like, you don't spend time thinking about it. You just, you just want the data to flow through. You just need a pipeline. Yeah, you don't, you don't think to yourself, I just built out all these controllers and views and now I'm just going to flatten into Vuex, right? <laughs> like that's, that's not how I thought about it. You know, I'm like, oh, I have this here and I'm going to structure my components in the same way. But really, to like achieve real flexibility on the front end, you sort of have to do that. Like, whether it's normalizing data to be a flat structure or putting it in Apollo and having it, you know, uh, managed for you, you sort of need that separation, I think, because otherwise you start having this client that's really, it's not much different than, you know, having a, a, a server side rendered application where it's like pretty coupled to the data pieces that are coming into it. Um, I think how I said that makes sense, but I'm sure people will let me know. But I think that's like, that's really what I started doing. So up until this point, you know, like Paul did a really big push on getting us separated. So we have an API and we have like a Nux client, right? So he was a big part of that. So this week was really like my first real deep dive into not just like how the front end works, because obviously I, I know how it all works. I have to, but how it's architected and designed, if that makes sense. And I feel like this week actually is the first week that I really made strides to make it feel more comfortable for me. Yeah, I mean, considering the GraphQL API has been only read-only up to this point, that's 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 a lot of hand waving and like, oh, I'll figure it out later. Yeah, so I'm still like you said, uh, you know, didn't push any any stuff today. Well, I made a couple of branches. I was testing out. There's another cool little library called GraphQL.js. Not to be confused with. Um, there's another one, GraphQL-JS, which I think is like the official. Uh, GraphQL thing. Oh uh, boy! Like for 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 building schemas and stuff on the server. But GraphQL JS, uh, you know, with GraphQL you can just send a post request to an endpoint and it gives you what you need. So you can do that with uh, what's the thing that that we use Axios. Um, you can do that just fine with Axios. Uh, but GraphQL JS is kind of cool where it gives you just a few methods that you can use and uh, it allows you to define. Uh, fragments and things. So uh, with GraphQL, let's say that you're fetching a vendor product. And let's say that uh, a vendor product has name, description, uh, base price, etc. And then in another page, you're fetching a product uh, through, through GraphQL. And it has exactly the same fields, name, description, base price, whatever. Uh, so with GraphQL, you can make what's called a fragment, and the fragment would contain those shared fields, name, description, price, and you can use the fragment in each uh, query. So essentially, you're just drying up your GraphQL queries because up until this point, we just have big uh, f- you know, string queries floating around the app. Uh, so GraphQL allows you to sort of refactor, GraphQL.js allows you to refactor those things into fragments and stuff, which we don't have now. Uh, and the big thing for me was, it's pretty small, it's like 4K, so it's not, you know, it's it does add some weight to the page, but it's a really useful tool. And what I ended up doing was uh, creating a Nuxt plugin for it. So uh, in Nuxt, you could use it anywhere with this dot dollar sign graph or app dot dollar sign graph, and you just have access to that instance. Um, so I'm just playing around with different solutions and I'll probably, you know, in a couple of weeks, make a branch of Apollo and check that out. But we just, we're just slowly incrementally, uh, 
going down the grab the GraphQL uh, rabbit hole, <laughs> being sucked in. I I, I like it a lot though. Like to today, it was it was really awesome working on a couple. Of, so I made that data grid component, and today I converted a couple more pages to using it, which was pretty fun. It felt really good. But um, there's a uh, a plugin for IntelliJ and WebStorm. Uh, I'll put a link to it. I think it's just called GraphQL Tools. Um, but in IntelliJ and WebStorm and JetBrains apps, you can do what's called uh, language injections. So if you have a string in in JavaScript, you can hit Alt-Enter and you can inject GraphQL. And if you configure an endpoint, it can actually introspect the endpoint and you get GraphQL auto-completion inside of your editor when you're typing into a string. That's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was it was awesome. So... You have to pry a webstorm from my my cold dead hands one of these days, but uh, it's tools like that that it, it just made me ultra productive today. I didn't have to jump back over to Insomnia. I didn't have to like go to IntelliJ and look at my types files. I just hit Command or Control Space in my editor in a string in a JavaScript file, and I had real uh, GraphQL IntelliSense happening. That's so cool. Well, I'm I'm excited to see where this where this leads leads us. Leads you. Me too. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I guess in a couple of weeks we'll have to get into application layering because I talked too much this week. It's fine. It's all good. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I don't know, I'm excited about it. I'm just glad to have you too. Like, I think you mentioned you're working with me a little bit and it's great uh, to feel like things are happening if I'm not the one, you know, I'm not having to write all of the code anymore, which feels nice. I wish I had more time. Like, I've been so swamped the past couple of weeks. It's just been, I haven't been able to prioritize it i like to get more in the routine of just managing my time better is really what it comes down to but that's that's always been a struggle it'll always be a struggle well i mean i mean we also had sort of like this this ignite stuff looming you know like thinking about that getting ready for the interviews trying to not sound like a and yeah nothing's gonna happen next week (laughs) right so yeah i don't know i'm just i just appreciate having having you around now we're going getting into feelings mode yeah well i'm i'm glad to be around it's fun to I don't know. When you write when you're writing for yourself, it's like you can just do whatever and no one has to see it. You can just kind of hide in shame. You can like hide in the corner and eat like a whole package of Oreos and no one's gonna notice you. Mm-hmm. But but you know, when I'm contributing to your code base I gotta, you know, have a salad. Not too much dressing <laughs> on it. And maybe only a few croutons. Well, you know I'm sending screenshots to my boss, right? When you when you send me stuff. Oh no. <laughs> it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. They had a mini celebration. So you sent me that screenshot of products you imported, and I put that in general, and, and they put a bunch of party parrots on it. So, oh, party parrots, where it's at. Yeah. That, that's how you know you've made it when you, <laughs> you start getting party parrot. You're getting rave reviews, rave reviews. Well, uh, no pressure. That's all I. That's not all I have, but it's all I have time for this week. Unless you have anything else to add. No, please no. Let's bring it around. That we can go. I can go another hour if you want. Do a bonus uh, after hours. Yeah, we'll, episode. We'll fire. Yeah, we'll just do a live stream. We should do that sometime. We're gonna do three episodes just next week. Next week alone. So uh, we'll keep pushing that back. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, good news. Maybe uh, segueing into the out- outro and a little bit, some a little more uh, show meta. Um, I've fixed so so DNC dot show runs on Gridsome. Even even though I just harped on how much I like Nuxt, uh, it runs on Gridsome, which basically is is like Gatsby for Vue. It, it sort of pulls in data and uh, builds a GraphQL endpoint for you to build on top of. But uh, So I fixed some SSR stuff with it, and so I updated it. And uh, I have a blog working, so I actually have started a couple of blog posts. Ooh. Uh, so hoping to get that up and running because I've been promising for about 50 episodes now, and uh, I'm finally getting to it. So there's that. I like it. Yeah, I like it a lot. But apart from that, uh, if anyone has any insight for me on GraphQL using GraphQL and projects that aren't using a bigger tool like Apollo or Relay or something like that, I'm definitely interested in hearing hearing about that and how how you all are approaching that and um, how you're solving uh, problems with it. I love I really love to hear about it. So let me know. As always, you can reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, DNC Show is the account. You can talk to Sean, Sean Washbot. He's a person and he's a robot. He's Sean Washbot. I'm Shrockwell. There's a C in there. May or may not be a bot. S-C-H-R-O-C-W-E-L. That's right. Uh, as I mentioned, show notes are available at dnc.show on our shiny Gridsome website. 
so everything we talked about today, different articles, technologies I mentioned that I didn't get to break down, uh, like connections, for example, uh, there y'all have links there and hopefully blog post soon. One of our interviewees next week is an SCH last name. Looking forward to bonding over that. <laughs> Show notes are available uh, also on spectrum.chat where you can come say hi and uh, we'll we'll be there. There's a bunch of other communities for development, design, and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always, thanks to Spec for having us and putting us out into the world and supporting us and saying nice things about us. And uh, shout out to Sarah for being the best uh, the best gift tweeter in the game. Oh, she's really good at it. It's always good to have someone like that on your team. She's got, she has the perfect gifts all the time. I don't understand how she does it, but she does it. Shout out to Sarah. And if you're looking for other divine and developer related shows, head on over to spec.fm and see what's going on over there. This week's episode was edited by Mikhail Delport and produced by Sarah Jackson. Well, Sean, I will see you in sunny, hopefully warmer than here, Florida. For the third time ever, I think, actually. What, that I'll see you? Yeah. Or that you'll be in Florida. Well, I've been in Florida a lot. I used to well, basically live there, but we met once in Connecticut. We met up at ElixirConf, and now there'll be a third time in Orlando. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just going to have increasingly uh, more exciting events. Like the next time we meet, it's going to be at, uh, I don't know, what's more exciting than a, than a conference with 30,000 people? Maybe like a outdoor, maybe we'll go to... Uh, Bonnaroo or something. Oh, I, can't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle that. Uh, we could go, I don't know, diving off the coast of Madagascar. Ooh, that's good. Be farther away. Be the farthest port in the in the Pacific Ocean from every other person. We could ask all the endangered species what they feel about technology. <laughs> there's a uh, there there there's a joke in there somewhere. Somewhere about uh some package name called like barnacle or something uh, barnacle i don't know it sounds like a good library name uh i used to play shows at this club called the bomb shelter and it was underneath a restaurant called barnacle bills in tallahassee florida oh boy so shout out to this this place had a state the stage was like really dark and they had a, a metal pole in the middle of it and it was painted black so it's a dangerous place but uh, shout out to Barnacle Bills in Tallahassee. I don't, I don't miss Tallahassee. All right, see you later, man. All right, see ya. Thank you again to Blumador for sponsoring this week. Take your flat metrics and logs and turn them into deep dimensional analysis with the Intercity's leading monitoring integration as a service. Head on over to bloomadorcom compute for a $200 credit towards Google Cloud Platform and take advantage of Blumador's integration with Google Stackdriver. Driver.